welcome to you. If you're a visitor on holiday, welcome to you. If you are a relative of someone, welcome to you. You're just here because this is your church. Huge welcome to you. It's lovely to see you. We start a new series today uh, looking at the verses that have changed the world. And there are quite a few. We're going to be looking at this series until mid-September. In mid-September, we're going to change and look at worship uh, and what it means to come together to worship. But for now, for the end of the summer into September, verses that change the world. And today, the verses that we're going to look at are verses that literally have shaped the world. They have changed the world in that they have shaped our understanding of who God is, what he is like. It's that God draws near, that God isn't distant, that God isn't remote, God isn't impersonal. In the verses that we read today, we see that God is present, that God is near, and he is magnificently intimate in our lives, deeply intimate with each one of us. So I wonder if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. It's possibly the most famous psalm in the Bible, possibly the the most famous words in the Bible. Many of us know them almost off by heart. They're favorites at weddings, favorites at funerals. When we find ourselves in trouble, they're a favorite. When we find ourselves hopeless, They are a favorite. Why? Because it teaches us that God is not distant. He wasn't a mechanical watchmaker that set the universe up and set the universe going and then left it alone to get on with other things. He made the universe and he cares and he holds the universe. In fact, the Bible tells us that that Jesus is the the image of of God. That he is the exact imprint of of his nature. And that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So right now, we are held by God. God speaks and holds us. We are held together. Our molecules are stopped flying into space by Jesus. We don't evaporate because of Jesus. We are held because of Jesus. And we see that in this psalm. Very beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. Look at the uh, personal pronouns here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Incredibly personal, incredibly intimate. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful, beautiful words. So personal. Tradition has it that this psalm, uh, of course written by David, tradition has it that this psalm was written as a very young man. That as he was a shepherd, he was the youngest of seven boys. Uh, and as the youngest, he had the, the, the worst job, which was looking after the sheep. And he took it very seriously. And uh, we know he took it seriously because one day uh, Saul says to him, how are you going to go and fight this giant called Goliath? And David says, well, I've been a shepherd. And when I see a lion come, I attack the lion. And when I see the bear come, I attack the bear. And the same God who gave me victory over the lion and the bear will give me victory over this great big Philistine. So we know he took it very, very seriously. This young boy would, uh, would wander with his sheep. He would lead his sheep. And one day, we imagine, he sits down under the shade of a tree with his ten-stringed lyre. A bit like Rob uh, there, or Jess. And he starts to pluck and play. And he thinks about his life as a shepherd. And in that moment, heaven is torn open and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And there's this moment of great revelation, great insight. As he sees him as a shepherd and sees how he cares for the sheep and joins the dots. Sees that God cares for him in exactly the same way has the same care over David as he has over his sheep. It's an incredible moment of insight. The penny drops, a bit like some people when they hold their firstborn child and they're overwhelmed with feelings of love and joy. And in that moment, they realize that God feels that way about them. That moment that comes as you sing a line in a song and you know it's true. The penny drops. God comes near and brings beautiful revelation, understanding. And that's what God does here. And David sings out this song. So personal. The Lord is my shepherd. So intimate. It's very interesting. The first part of this, the first third of this psalm, verses 1 to 3, he talks about uh, God as being He. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then it changes. By verse 4, you, you, as He, as he plays, He says these deep truths about God. And as he continues and as he goes on, these deep truths become so personal to him, so deeply real to him that he is moved. You are my shepherd. I sing this to you. You are with me. It's beautiful. Now, it's written from the point of view of a sheep. A sheep. So, uh, it's quite interesting that in that moment... (laughs) It's 
quite interesting in that moment of insight and understanding that he sees himself as sheep, as a sheep. I don't know how you say that correctly. He sees himself as a sheep. God is creator and he is creation. Chuck Swindoll has some great things to say about sheep. They're quite funny. I get the impression he doesn't like sheep very much. This is what he says. Sheep are useless. Uh, Sheep lack a sense of direction. Unlike cats and dogs, sheep can get easily lost, even in familiar territory. He says sheep are useless because they're virtually defensive. Defenseless, sorry. Most animals have rather effective means of defense, sharp claws, teeth, speed, ability to hide, keenness of smell, sight and hearing, great strength or ferocity. But he says sheep are awkward, weak and ignorant. They have spindly legs and tiny hooves. I've seen a few people like that. They are pitifully slow, even devoid of an angry growl. They are defenseless. Three, he says, sheep are useless because they are easily frightened. Being ignorant, unimpressive in stature. He really doesn't like sheep, this guy. Being ignorant, unimpressive in stature and very much aware of their weaknesses, sheep find comfort only in their shepherd's presence. He says, fourthly, sheep are by nature unclean. Other animals lick, scrape and roll in the grass to cleanse themselves, but not sheep. They will remain filthy indefinitely unless the shepherd cleanses them. He says, fifthly, sheep are useless because they cannot find food or water. He said, while most animals have a keen sense of smell, sheep depend on their shepherd completely. If left to themselves, sheep will eat poisonous weeds and die. He says, sheep are useless because even the wool they produce doesn't belong to them. It belongs to somebody else. And in this moment, here is David, and he has this wonderful insight, and he says, that's me. Without you, without you, God, I'm lost. Without you, I'm defenseless. Without you, I'm frightened. Without you, I'm unclean. Without you, I'm unable to find food or water. Without you, I have nothing. That's what he's saying. He's looking to God, this intimate, close God, and saying, with you, I have everything. And he does. It is all-encompassing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So look at this. I shall not. If we ask these questions, if we ask these questions, make these statements, we have an answer. I shall not lack rest or provision. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We can go on. I shall not lack restoration or encouragement when I faint, fail or fall. Why? He restores my soul. We shall not lack guidance or fellowship. Why? Because he leads us in paths of righteousness. I shall not lack courage. Shall not lack courage when the way is dark. Why? Because even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I fear no evil. I shall not lack companionship. Why? For I am with you. Can you see this as we're reading it down? For I am with you. I shall not lack 
constant comfort. Why? Because your rod and your staff comfort me. I shall not lack protection or honor. Why? Because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not lack power. Why? Because you have anointed my head with oil. I shall not lack abundance. Why? Come on. My cup overflows. You get it? He goes on. I shall not lack God's perpetual presence. Why? Because goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall not lack eternal security. Why? For I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's all-encompassing. Without Him, nothing. With Him, everything. That's what David's saying. So these verses change the world because our understanding of God utterly changes. He is not distant. He is not remote. He is not unconcerned. He is not a God like Zeus who, who plays with us as pieces on a chessboard. He is intimate, up close and personal. He gets near to us. And of course, we know the full story. So we know Jesus. We know that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Put his tent up with us. Came near. Our religion, our faith is not about a set of rules. It's not a set of observances. Our faith is about a person. The Word made flesh. The shepherd who comes to us. It's beautiful. Jesus wanted us to know that he is this shepherd. He didn't want us to be in any doubt that he was this shepherd. So he, he would uh, feed the 5,000. And as he looks out upon these 5,000, remember what it says? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he goes about feeding them. And, and Mark chapter 6 is quite incredible because it does a color. Mark's gospel only does four colors. White, color of angels. Green, color of grass, once. Purple, once as well. The color of the robe they put on Jesus. And the green is found here in Mark chapter 6. Where the disciples are all worried and they're saying, Look, we haven't got enough food. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, Make them sit down. In the green grass. Make him sit down in the green grass. Mark chapter 6. Why does he say that when Mark doesn't do color anywhere else? Because it's just a step away from make them sit down on green grass to make them lie down in green pastures. It's quite amazing. It's especially amazing as Mark calls this place a wilderness, a barren place. Arrow moon. Arid. Is the, the meaning there. Aramun, come with me to a deserted place. And in this arid place, he makes them sit down in green pastures. Well, maybe that's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit uh, removed from Jesus fully saying that this is him. Well, we got John chapter 10. Do you think you could put it up for me, Caroline? 
John chapter 10, verse 27. In chapter 10 of John's gospel, he says, I am the good shepherd. It's one of these seven I am statements where he says, I am living water. And here he is in John chapter 10 saying, I am the good shepherd. Well, the the Pharisees don't like that very much. And he goes on. This is what he says in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Lord's my shepherd. Here, Jesus makes it crystal clear that he and the Father are one. And he is the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. It's beautiful. We'll we'll hang on to that and we'll hang on to the verses because we'll come back to that in a minute. So it's three things. Uh, There's a million things I could say about this. I could talk forever on the 23rd Psalm, perhaps. But three things I want us to think about. Stilled water, quiet waters, the rod and the staff, and anointing our head with oil. There are three things I want us to think about briefly tonight. Stilled waters. He leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. It's lovely words. What was David thinking as he sat under this tree and strummed his ten-string lyre? What was he thinking when he, when he wrote those words? Well, he was thinking about these sheep who are practically defenseless, these sheep who are easily frightened, these sheep who can't find food or water for themselves. And he knows that when they get to a fast-moving stream, they become very scared because it sort of bubbles about and the water becomes three-dimensional and it splashes and it makes a noise and it's fast and it glints in the sunlight. And so the sheep get incredibly nervous. And so David knows he has two options. The first is that, that he has to find a well and put the buckets down and fill up troughs and mangers so that they can drink and eat. The, the other is, if there is no well and there's only running water, he knows that as a shepherd, he has to pull up stones and rocks and build a dam and a pool so that the raging water becomes quiet. So in peace and security, the sheep can come and drink. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's a beautiful thing. And so David is strumming, thinking about how he does that for his sheep and how God does that for us. You know, life It's often three-dimensional, splashing, gurgling, fast-moving, splashes coming up, the unexpected things happening. And life, by and large, can become quite frightening. I have a a very good friend who says it's, it's really not about thriving at the moment, it's about surviving at the moment. And that's often our experience of life. It's about survival. 
Because life is so fast moving, so bubbly, so noisy, so glinty. And we get scared. And David knows that God, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, makes space for us. To be restored. Church is one such place. Small groups are one such place. Beside your bed at night. Working out what's led you closer to God. What's driven you further away from Him. Saying your prayers first thing in the morning. Committing your day to Jesus. These are moments where He creates still water for us. To come and drink. I find it quite amazing that these rocks and these boulders in the stream, which give it the splash and the speed and the the unpredictability, it's those boulders and rocks that the Good Shepherd will pick up and move to create a pool of water. Those very things that are difficult, those very things that cause pain, actually are the things that drive us to the still water. Our anxieties become springboards for prayer. That's me diving in just in case you wondered what on earth I was doing then. They become springboards into prayer. The very anxieties and the pains of the day can lead us into closer and truer and deeper fellowship with God. As I think about this and the shepherd, the good shepherd stooping down, building a a dam, I think of Romans 8, 28. Where it says, God in all things works all things together for the good of those who love him. So I don't know what's going on, what's bubbling away in your life. But even at that, God is at work. His hand moving, gently rearranging that you might find peace and quietness. And he will restore your soul. In the midst of it, we, we had a word uh, in our prayer time before the service. Uh, Jess was praying and she sort of had a, a, a word, a picture, a prophecy. Don't know what we'd call it, a word of knowledge. Uh, I should know what we'd call it. But she, she was talking about popping candy. Uh, and she, she said this, you know, popping candy just in the packet is inert. You actually have to put it on your tongue in order for it to pop. And it's that chemical reaction with your saliva, or I suppose with water, for it to do anything. And we were talking about a new song on our hearts, and she said we need to take that new song and actually just do something with it and sing it out. And and the truth is here. You know, in the midst of what's going on, God is creating places for you. You have to take hold of them. I said to, to Shelley a couple of weeks ago, Shelley, well, it's probably a month or so ago now, Shelley was swimming off the hoe and she swam with a dolphin. And she just had the most amazing experience there with a dolphin in the hoe. And I said to Shelley, I've prayed so hard that I'd get to swim with a dolphin one day. And then I thought to myself, and I said it to Shelley, but I've got to meet him at least halfway. I've got to get in the sea. And there's a truth there. You've got to take this. He's creating spaces for you. Don't miss them. 
Leads me beside quiet waters. Secondly, his rod and his staff. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. And of course, as a shepherd, David there under the tree, singing and thinking and strumming his ten-stringed lyre. He's thinking about these journeys he makes with his sheep. Now, of course, in, in this country, when we, we move sheep from place to place, we use sheepdogs most often, or we whistle, we shout, and we drive, and we push. In the Middle East, it's not so. A shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. He leads them. They follow him. So if you see a picture of a Middle Eastern shepherd, you'll see the Middle Eastern shepherd out front and the sheep following that's why uh, can you put John 10 on again for me that's why when Jesus talks about the good shepherd he says my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me because that's the way it works in the Middle East not like here they lead and the sheep follow and so David is thinking we'll just leave that up for a moment David is thinking uh, about this he takes his sheep from one field or one pasture to another throughout the seasons he would be on the move as the sun becomes very hot and the valleys become very dry they would they would lead their sheep up the mountainsides uh, and they would do different things and there's a million theories out there about what this valley of the shadow of death is a literal place uh, a big uh, chasm uh, on the way up we, we don't know what we do know is that the shepherd cares for his flock as they're on the move. As they go through dangerous territory, the shepherd guards his flock. And the flock can look to the rod and the staff and know that that keeps them safe. And so as David is singing and strumming and thinking, he's thinking about that. These moves from one pastor to the other, where he leads his sheep, he cares for his sheep. And he knows God is like that. There's a beautiful bit in uh, one of the Narnia stories, the horse and his boy. And Shasta makes a journey up a mountainside to join the camp of the Narnians who are about to go to war and fight a big battle, break a siege. And he has to climb up this mountain path and it's pitch black. He can't see anything, he doesn't know anything, but he walks up this path. And the whole time we're told there's a lion on his left-hand side, Shasta's scared, so he keeps away from the lion. In the morning, after he's met up with the people in the camp, the whole army starts to descend back down the mountain. And Shasta literally feels sick as he looks at this path that he walked the night before. For on the left-hand side, what well, was left as he was coming up, on the left-hand side as he was coming up, is a sheer drop. As he looks over the edge, it's like one of those cartoon moments. He feels physically sick and can't believe that he walked that mountain path at night alone. And then he remembers. That's why the lion 
walked on my left-hand side. He kept me away from the edge. And that's true for us. You know, we've got all sorts in this building tonight. Got marines, soldiers, uh, housewives, bankers, street cleaners, retired people. God is with you. Just on your left. Guarding you. Holding you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with you. His rod and staff comfort you. That's a lovely word. That word comfort, I looked it up. I wanted to know a bit more about it. And this is what it said. It's nigh came. Nigh came. To comfort, to console, to extend compassion. Most often used to sigh with one who is grieving. To breathe intently. Or intensely, sorry, because of deep emotion. It's lovely. It's what it means. You know if someone you love sighs, they let out a big sigh. <sighs> I don't know about you, but I want to ask them, what's wrong? Is everything alright? <sighs> you okay? What are you thinking? What's troubling you? Well, here the shepherd goes one better with his rod and his staff. He sighs with you. When you groan, he groans with you. He breathes deeply with you. We could translate this. When your heart rate goes up, God doesn't have a heart rate, but so does God's. When your hackles rise, so do God's. When your adrenaline is coursing through your body, so is God's. When you groan, When you sigh deeply, God is next to you, sighing with you. This is more than casual sympathy. This is deep intimacy with God. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Even though you walk through the shadow of the valley of death, No one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. It's beautiful. He's right with us. Finally, He anoints my head with oil. What's David thinking about? Well, perhaps David is thinking about a feast. That you'd have. And of course at a feast, uh, the, the, the host would uh, either have someone or would do this himself, would wash his guest's feet. It was a, a thing he would want to do to show that you were really welcome. If you were highly honoured at this feast, the host would just come to you with some fragrant oil, I'm doing it to you Tony, and just put it on your head. Lovely. What a fine head you've got Tony. And he would just put it on your head to show you were highly favoured of God, highly beautiful to him, Tony, highly thought of and treasured. That's what he'd do. And so perhaps that is in David's mind. But what about as a shepherd? What does he, what does he think as he thinks of this as a shepherd? You prepare a table before me in the presence 
of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Well, David, when he had moved his sheep from one location to another, because they're a bit dopey and eat anything, has to clear the field. With his rod and his staff, he beats down the grasses and has a look because he has to make sure there's no uh, yew trees there or a hemlock or other dangerous things that sheep might eat. And so he's on the lookout for poisons and he creates a safe place. He prepares a table because these dopey sheep are so dopey, they'll eat anything. So he makes sure it's safe. He even wants to make sure there are no vipers or snakes. So he drives them out with his, his rod and his staff so that the, she- the sheep may graze peacefully. But there are still insects and there are still snakes around. So what does he do? Well, he puts a thick, thick, smelly oil on them, which acts a bit like a, uh, an anti Uh, Not anti, an insect repellent, a snake repellent. And he puts it on their faces and puts it on their noses. uh, And they smell so the the, the worms and the fleas and the the insects don't come close. You prepare a table for me. You anoint my head with oil. And there's something beautiful about that. You have to, I had to get really close to Tony to do that. And Tony was very obliging and he put his head down so I could touch it. Yeah, there's something very intimate about that. You have to be close to anoint. And you have to be peaceful. If Tony had thought, oh, I don't want to touch, be touched by Andy Caldwell, I'm off, it would have been very hard and it would have been quite a sight to see me and Tony running down the aisles, a bit like Benny Hill. China, and sorry, you're all too young for that. Uh, or too, too proper, uh, to, to give him some, some oil. I don't know if you've got cats or dogs. We've got a lovely dog, Herbie, a bit like Scooby-Doo, really big old thing. And every, uh, every couple of months or so, or every month, I think, we have to put his flea treat. I say we, Joe, has to put his flea treatment on him. And uh, it's quite a palaver. I've seen the adverts. I don't know if you've seen the adverts. It looks so easy. They, they snip the top off. They just drop it on the cat or the dog and job's done. With us, it's a battle. He doesn't want this sticky, smelly anointing oil on him that's going to keep him flea, flea free. And so he fights and we try and hold him down. And sometimes I've got his legs and I'm trying to keep him tight. And Joe's trying to drop this stuff and it goes everywhere. It's one thing you can be sure of, we've got no fleas. Because we get covered in the stuff more than the dog does. Something peaceful about him anointing our heads with oil. Very intimate, very close. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to his disciples and they were fearful, they're terrified. And Jesus said, be at peace. And then he went up to them, you're going to get it again, Tony. He went up to them and he breathed on them. It's lovely. I forgot to clean my teeth. Sorry. He's a doctor. He smelt worse. So, (laughs) Jesus comes very close. Up close and personal. And anoints us with his Holy Spirit. That's what it means for us today. 
His Holy Spirit. We have this anointing, this power, this seal of God, which marks us and protects us and holds us and fills us with power from on high. And Jesus came to his disciples and just breathed on them. Beautiful. You anoint my head with oil. I can't understand why anybody would not want the Holy Spirit. Would not want to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Constantly be filled. Go on being filled by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes. It's our task to do. We should grab this with both hands and be filled by Him. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 5, he, he says this, look, hope does not disappoint us because He has poured out His love in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's this anointing our head with oil. And then he says, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. There is an abundance here. This is Haddon Robinson. I've read this before, but I love it. With Jesus, the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable and the peace passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure his goodness by drops, like a chemist filling a prescription. He comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the, the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make to our lives if every meal was taken as a gift from His hand. It would be almost a sacrament. I don't hear many people use that kind of language. My cup overflows. I tend to hear all the woes. And I'm sure that's true of all of us, isn't it? We hear the problems and we express the problems. We express our fears and our trials and our difficulties. And we're like that. Where Paul says, do everything without complaining. We can do nothing without complaining. Often, if we're honest. Always want something else, want something more, something that hasn't gone quite right. But living with the shepherd, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. It's beautiful. So, what about us? Well, I think one of the reasons that we maybe moan so much. Is that we don't perhaps know the shepherd as we ought. He isn't as real to us as he ought to be. I think we have lots of small gods. They go by lots of different names. Success, money, power, sex, family, relationships. We have many small gods, many things we put our hope in. And our trust in. We love to put our trust in people. We love to put people up on a pedestal. And when they're on a pedestal, 
It's very easy for them to fall, be knocked down, to crash and burn. But not Jesus. There is no pedestal from which he can fall. There is no distance which will cause him to break. He is not a small God. He is the living God. I was reminded this week of Martin uh, Luther King's funeral service. Martin Luther King was one of the greatest men who has ever lived. Martin Luther King stood up to a society that was deeply flawed. Where people were judged on the color of their skin and not the content of their souls. He was raised as a second class citizen in America. He watched as his brothers and sisters were treated like dirt. To sit together in church like we do would not happen. One rule for one, one rule for another, based on the colour of your skin. Worst thing of all, people use the Bible to defend their racism. Martin Luther King stood up and stood out. He had a dream, and his dream was from God, and his dream changed the world. A movement grew up around him that spoke with truth and held a mirror up to America. There were riots and there was civil disobedience. But something had to be done. And Martin Luther King was at the front leading this movement. Then in 1968, an assassin took his life, hoping to kill the movement that had grown up around him. At the funeral, there was deep despair. There was great uncertainty about the movement, the civil rights movement. What would happen? Would it crash and burn? Would it fall? At the funeral, there were a great number of eulogizers and exhorters, great speakers. But the one who stood out was James Bevel, he mounted the podium, stern and heavy. And in a voice like a gathering storm on the edge of a clear day, he spoke. There is a false rumor going round that our leader is dead. Our leader is not dead, he said. Martin Luther King is not our leader. At this he paused. He let his words and the implication of his words bruise, sting, stir, taunt the people? Was he using this moment as a political movement at moment for his own ends? Was he trying to create a crowd around him? Was he just trying to wreak havoc or uncertainty? Our leader, Bevel continued, is the man who led Moses out of Israel. 
That's the man, someone cried from the congregation. Our leader is a man who went with Daniel into the lion's den. Same man. Our leader is a man who walked out of the grave on Easter morning. Our leader neither sleeps nor slumbers. He cannot be put in jail. He has never lost a war. Our leader is still on the case. Our leader is not dead. One of his prophets has died. But our leader is not dead. Our shepherd is not dead. Your shepherd is not dead. Your shepherd is here. Let's pray. Father, Forgive us the small gods we make for ourselves. Forgive us that we put our hope and our trust and our security in so many things that are not. In this moment, Lord, we want to say afresh and again, knowing that your mercies are fresh every morning, every day, We want to say you, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You are the one who leads us beside quiet waters. You are the one who guides us and protects us. You are the one who anoints us with your own Holy Spirit. So would you draw near to us, Lord? Would you make still water? Would you guide and protect and lead? And would you fill us, not leaving one of us out, with your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.